Well, great is thy faithfulness. That's one of those songs, if you're not careful, you can sing it and not really mean it. But great is his faithfulness. The fact that you were able to get up this morning, the fact that you were here this morning, uh, the the beautiful uh, stars that were out this morning, uh, God is faithful, God is good. And uh, I'm glad every one of you are here this morning. Well, let me uh, open us up in prayer, bless the food and our morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come together. And Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness. Each and every day you are faithful. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. And Father, you provide the air that we breathe. You provide uh, the work that we do. Father, you make life possible. You also make the better life, eternal life possible through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. You are a faithful God, even when we are unfaithful men. And Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts um, mightily through your word as we talk about why it is that we're even born. Why are we here? Father, may this not just be a, um, just another lesson, just another Bible study, but may this be a time where your Holy Spirit really speaks to each one of our hearts, refocusing and reprioritizing our lives, that Father, we exist for you and you alone. And you have a purpose for our lives. And you have a plan for our lives. Thank you for these men. May you guide and direct us in the moments we have together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're uh, continuing on in our journey through Get in the Game. And if you remember last week, we looked at this issue of uh, passion. Having a passion. The truth is, all of us are passionate about something, right? Uh... It's not that we really lack passion, it's just that sometimes our passion goes in the wrong direction. We're passionate about the wrong things. It's not necessarily that those things are wrong and evil, but they take the place of God in our lives. And we end up worshiping the wrong things, we worship at the wrong altar. We worship our careers, we worship sports, we worship all kinds of things other than Him. Those things are not bad, those things are not evil, it's just that we've let them step in the way of God himself. And we end up valuing the wrong things. One of the definitions we looked at of passion is that it's what you value. It's what you are willing to spend money on. It's what you're willing to um, die for, live for. It, it consumes you. And so it's not that we're not passionate. It's just that we're not passionate necessarily about the right things. Well, this week, what I want to talk to you about is what were you born for? You know, you, you hear... Uh, you hear guys talk about, especially in athletics, well, he's a natural-born athlete. You know, he was born to play football. Um, I went on the, this father and son uh, weekend, two weekends ago with my son, and the speaker uh, shared with us that, you know, he, it was, he was torn about being there uh, because his son was playing in a football game. He's a defensive back. He was playing in a football game in Arkansas, and they go to a small private school, and they were playing the... Uh, state champion, um, public school state champion that weekend, and it was that night, the Friday night we met, they were playing, and so he was really torn, and he was talking about a a young man that's on their football team who is a natural-born athlete. He uh, came from a broken home, he was adopted by another family, and just a natural-born athlete, he went on and on describing this kid, and it, 
it, it was almost as if he was born just to play football. And he showed us, they ended up winning the game. The small Christian school beat the state champion uh, by a pretty big score. And then he had highlights for us the next morning, as you can imagine, because uh, his son's on the team. Uh, but this kid was amazing. I mean, he could turn on a dime. He had incredible acceleration. And he's got a pretty phenomenal career ahead of him, uh, playing football. But are you really born to play football? Are you really born to be a professional golfer? You know, we're gifted. Uh, the historic of Eric Liddell, the, the Olympic runner back years and years and years ago, the Chariots of Fire movie was made about. You know, he talked about the fact that he was, God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Uh, God made me for a purpose. He just also happened to make me very fast. That's what I really want to kind of talk about this morning is, why were you born? Everybody in this room was born, right? At least I think so. Some may have been hatched, I don't know. But you, you were born, you had a beginning, you, you, you came into this planet. And if your parents are like most of us as parents, we had all these dreams and ambitions for our kids, didn't we? And sometimes they pan out, sometimes they don't. Uh, I know my wife was somewhat disappointed that my oldest son decided that he was going to have a career in the video game business. Because she spent most of his growing up years trying to get him off the computer. And now he does it for a living. So his career didn't quite turn out like we expected or hoped. But he has a great career and he loves what he does and that's more important. But was he born to do that? Were you born to do what you do? Why were you born? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Is Again, it goes back to this passage that we've looked at for three weeks now, Ephesians 2.10. And if you think I'm harping on it, I am. Because this passage is critical to us understanding why we're here. You are God's masterpiece. Whether you feel like it, whether you look like it, or whether you feel you act like it, you are God's masterpiece. Every guy in the room. And as such, you were created... A new, new creation in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In a way, the question probably is, what were you born to do and what were you reborn to do? What were you born to do? What were you reborn to do? That's a question every guy in this room needs to ask themselves. And so... What I want to kind of throw out there this morning, if, if God has good works that he's planned from before the foundation of the world for you to do, and that's what you were created for, what if God had something amazing he wanted you to do, something incredible he wanted you to do, and you missed out on it? You just flat missed out on it for whatever reason. You, you could either just say, you know, I failed to find out what it was, either through ignorance, uh, wrong priorities. But he has this incredible thing that he wants you to do, and you just missed it. How sad would that be? Even sadder, what if you just decided to ignore it? You know, God's whispering in your ear, and God is trying to come alongside you and say, Man, I have got the greatest thing for you to do. And you just completely ignored God. In my mind, that would be sad. 
It would be also sad if you got to the end of your life and you figured out that I missed it. I missed what he had for me to do. And so this morning, this question of why were you born is pretty critical. Why are you on this planet? Why do you exist? Um, I'm going to show you a video clip. This is not an endorsement of this film. I just want to put that out there. This is a disclaimer. It's not a bad film. Well, some of you may think it's a bad film. Um, it's a clip from Evan Almighty. I have not seen this movie in its entirety. Um, Craig Hollingsworth wrote a, a, a little devotional about it that you guys read. Um, I keep meaning to get it, but it's not real high in my list of movies to see. So this is not an endorsement. It's just simply a visual illustration of what if God came into your universe today and said, I got something incredible I want you to do, and you decided to turn him down. Chris? Hello, I am Evan, Evan Baxter. Baxter. Born June 15, 1962. Eight pounds, 11 ounces. Mother's Carol Ann Parker. Father Eugene Evan Baxter. Ooh, you have internet access. Very impressive. Do you also have cable? You're a clean freak. You care much too much about your outward appearance. Your left nipple is a quarter of an inch higher than your right nipple. And when you were a little boy, you were afraid of Gumby. Who are you? I'm God. You're God? Yes. And I want you, Evan Baxter, to build an ark. Okay, you know what? This conversation is a little thing I like to call over. But I gotta get going. Because, frankly, I have an ark to build. Busy, 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 busy. Nice meeting you. Take care. <laughs> you know, what, what if God came up to you? you? You guys, most of the older guys in the room, remember the Bill Cosby thing? The... the uh, that he does on Noah, where Noah comes to visit him, and he's like, yeah, right. You know, you want me to build what? You know, if God came to you and he said, I've got this incredible thing to do, and of course the movie goes on and Evan goes through all the machinations of trying to build this ark and everything that goes with it. But what if you just said no? What if you just said, you know, I'm really not interested? The more I thought about that the last couple of weeks, the, the more amazed I am that how there may be quite a few of us in this room and there may be a, quite a few of us walking this planet who are basically thumbing our nose at God and he's got something he wants us to do. And I would hate for that to happen in my life and in your life. So really what it begs the question, I started thinking about what if Noah had said no to God, the real Noah? You know, if, if God came to me and said, I want you to build an ark. There's no body of water anywhere nearby. I've never seen a boat. And God came to me. I would basically, I've got the wrong number. He's got me confused with somebody else. I don't have time. I don't have a clue how to do this. No, thank you. Find someone else. But what if Noah had said no? This is all conjecture, but think about it. What if Moses had failed to listen to God at the burning bush? You know, when, when God told Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, what was the first thing that came through his mind? There's no way in God's green earth I'm going back to Egypt because I left with a bounty on my head. And then the more God talked to him, the more he rationalized, I can't speak, I can't do this, they won't listen to me, they don't know who you are, no thanks, not going there. It took him a while, but he went. But what if he hadn't? What if Abram had never left Ur of the Chaldees and gone to the promised land? 
for all we know, he wasn't a, a necessarily a Yahweh worshiper. He wasn't a Hebrew. He was a pagan. But God comes to him and says, I want you to leave your fa- family. I want you to leave your nation. And I want you to go to a land you've never been to before. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. Pack up your stuff. Let's get going. What if he had said, you know, I don't know. I don't like to travel. Um, I'm, not, I'm not into this. I really like where I am. I like what I've got. I've got a nice family situation. No thanks. What if? What if Nehemiah had never returned to rebuild the temple? When God placed on his heart the desire to go to the king and talk to the king about going back and rebuilding the temple, what if, what if he just said, you know, God, I, I, I don't even want to walk into the king and ask this. Remember, he's in captivity. He's a cupbearer to the king. That was a dangerous thing for him to do is go in there and ask to, hey, would you mind if I took all these people who are your slaves and you just let them go so we can go back and rebuild our temple? Not a really great thing to go do. What if he had said, God, I'm not interested. Get somebody else. What if all the prophets had refused to prophesy? If God had come to them and said, here's a word from me. Here's what I want you to tell the people. Repent. And they just said, you know, I don't like the message. Can I, can I have a, a little more palatable message like enjoy life? God is good. God is loving. Uh, no, I don't want to do this. What if they hadn't done it? What if the disciples had refused to follow? Jesus comes walking along and says, follow me. And they all said, no thanks. What if? Then finally, what if Paul had settled for a loss of his eyesight instead of gaining Christ? In other words, he's walk, they're traveling down that road. The bright light shines. He's blinded by it. And it scared him. But what if given a few days, he just decided, I'd rather be blind than do what you're asking me to do. What if he had said no instead of going further down the road in his walk with the Lord? Well, again, ask the question, do you know what you were born to do? If you look at all the characters, and you could go through an incredible list of characters in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, but the truth is about every one of them, none of these characters knew what they were born to do. I'm convinced of that. Now, you could argue that Moses had a clue because he killed the Egyptian, but I don't really think he necessarily saw himself as the deliverer in the way God did. I think he just deemed himself a deliverer. I don't think any of these people really knew when they were born what they were born to do. The disciples did what? They fished. They were tax collectors. They didn't know. And the truth is, we don't know either. They were just going about their business. That's, that's what's amazing about all of these guys is they're just doing their thing. And then here comes God. Just like Evan. You know, God shows up. And I've got something I want you to do. I want you to build an ark. You want me to do what? Going about their business, everyday life, and then God steps into the scene. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to look for God in your daily life. What is God saying to you? Through his word, through moments like this, through input from other men, through your devotionals, through Bible study, what is God saying to you? 
How does God step into my world and your world every single day? And not like the little clip we saw where God literally steps up beside you and already has the lumber laid out in your yard. That would be pretty obvious, wouldn't it? Enough lumber to build a boat. That's not how God tends to work, is it? But it's that still small voice that comes alongside you and I, but he steps in. One of the things I want to just lay on you this morning is that God calls you. God calls us where we are. What do I mean by that? Well, it's pretty simple. Where you are is right where you need to be. Sounds like something Yoda would say, isn't it? Where you are is right where you need to be. Many of us think that we've got to get someplace else or we've got to move away from where we are. We've got to go to seminary. We've got to... No, God has you right where you are. You may not even like where you are. You may hate your life. You may hate your job. You may hate your relationship with your spouse. You may hate your circumstances. You may hate your health. You may hate everything about where you are. But you are where you are. And that's where God wants to meet you. See, we, we think we got to be somewhere else. Well, I've got to be in a mountaintop. I've got to go on a retreat. I've got to get away. I've got to have a quiet time. In our small group the other night, we were talking about spiritual disciplines. And one of the things we all admitted is that God, we have God so boxed in that God can only meet me in the 30 to 45 minute time I allot for quiet time. You know, okay, God, I've got my Bible open. I'm sitting in my chair. I am officially in quiet time. Talk to me. And if he doesn't, you missed your window of opportunity because I'm out of here. God is not relegated to the opportunities I provide. God can talk to me anytime he wants. And it's interesting. He talks to me through circumstances that I wouldn't choose. I'll give you an example. Saturday, uh, left a Bible study, went home, was talking to my brother who's a pastor on the phone. We're driving. I'm driving home. I get home. My, my brother's still talking. So I'm on the phone just listening, my cell phone. I'm walking around in my yard just enjoying the beautiful morning. And I walk around and I look over by a part of my house that has like shiplap siding. And I look over there and it's discolored. I thought, that looks odd. I wonder if it needs to be repainted. So I walk over, still listening to my brother, and I start poking at it. Well, my finger goes through it. And that bothered me because that shouldn't happen. So I thought, oh, God, it's water damage. So I kind of start pulling away, and it just starts flaking off in my hands, and big chunks start coming off. And then little creatures start spilling out, little white creatures, little albino wood-eating creatures. I've got termites. Now I'll give you three guesses what you think my response to that was. Yes, Jesus, thank you. Uh, what a blessing. What an opportunity to trust God. I didn't even say anything and my brother could tell something was wrong. He goes, what is it? I said, I've got termites. And he goes, oh no. Which really encouraged me. <laughs> you know, those are the moments that God speaks. Because the first things that flew through my mind was, oh my gosh, how bad is it and what's it going to cost? And then how in the world am I going to pay for this? That, those are all the things that flew through my mind. What did not flow through my mind was, God is good, God is great, God is the giver of all things, God is in control, God will provide, God... That did not flow through my mind. It took some time. 
And it came through the lips of my wife, which I really hate. Because by the time I went and told her, she said, you know, God's sovereign. Now, for that to come out of my wife's mouth is is pretty amazing. Not that she's not godly, but that's not necessarily how she thinks all the time. But she said, you know, God's going to take care of this. See, God can speak whenever, however, in whatever circumstances he wants to speak. And where you are is right where you need to be. I am in the midst of termites. It's right where I need to be. I would love to trade with you. Well, first let me find out where you are. But I did ask God why he didn't let it happen to my neighbor who's lost. He's lost. Go pick on him for a while. No, I'm not guaranteed a free skate through life. And so... I am where I am, and God can speak to me where I am. Here's the other thing. If God is sovereign, so are your circumstances. See, we hate this. If God is sovereign, He's sovereign. Not partly sovereign, not part-time sovereign, not sometime sovereign. He is sovereign. And so He is sovereign and knows exactly, He knows how many termites are in my wall. And this is a really sad part. He made them. He created them. He gave them the ingenuity to build that little clay tunnel that went up the side of my house behind the ivy that got into my wall. God is sovereign. God knows what's going on. So I am right where I need to be and so are you. I don't know what your circumstances are and it could be worse than termites. It could be something else eating away at your life, at your hope, at your future. You're in the job you have for a reason. Some of you hate your jobs. Some of you love your jobs, and that's wonderful. But there are probably men in this room who would love a different job, a better paying job, a job that feels like it has a future, a job that really delivers and pays the bills. You're in a home, the home you live in for a reason. You may hate your home. You may hate the literal house you live in, too small, run down, falling apart. You know, we've been in our house 15 years. My wife read an article just recently that she shared with me that the 15th year is the year your house starts to fall apart. It's coming true. Everything's breaking. Everything's falling apart. But I'm in the house I'm in, in the state it's in, for a reason. The job you're in, the home you're in, you're also in the situation in which you find yourself for a reason. You may be in the middle of a really lousy relationship with your wife. I don't know what got you there. And I'm not even sure what will get you out of there. But I do know this. God is in the midst of your circumstance. God knows what's going on. You are where you are and it's right where you need to be. Just look at this. Noah was raising three sons. That's really all we know about Noah. I don't know what he did for a living other than he was probably a shepherd in some form or fashion and was making good money doing it. But Noah was raising three boys. Moses was tending sheep. Nehemiah was cupbearer for a pagan king. Joseph was a prisoner. Man, that's a fun situation to be in. Give me termites. But look at where they are. Where they were is where God met them. David was a shepherd. His dad didn't think enough of him to even bring him in when the prophet, Nathan the prophet, came in looking for a king. He prayed at every sun by except the last one who was out tending sheep. 
They were where they were. Gideon was beating out wheat in a wine press. I love that story. You know, we think of Gideon the prophet, great prophet, or, you know, judge. And yet, when God comes to this guy, what's he doing? Now, if you're not careful, you'll blow right by. He's beating out wheat in a wine press. That's not what you do in a wine press. He's hiding because he doesn't want the enemy to see what he's doing. He's scared. And God turns him into this incredible judge and warrior. Peter was fishing when God came up, or the Lord came upon him. Matthew was collecting taxes. Paul was persecuting the church. He was literally on his way to go get more Christians to throw in prison, if not kill, when the Lord met him on that road. So where you are is right where you need to be. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. But here's what I'd like you to do. There's a little index card on the table. And I just want to take a few seconds. And I don't want anybody to look at anybody else's index card, okay? If he puts down something, you don't copy him. You probably don't want to copy him, but... I want you just to jot down a few things that illustrate where you are right now. The good, the bad, the ugly. Where are you right now? What are your circumstances? If you love your job, write it down. If you're happy with life, write it down. If you love your wife, write it down in big letters and then show it to her later. If whatever your circumstances, write it down. If your circumstances, excuse my French, suck, write it down. I hate my job, I hate my life, I hate my work, I hate my career, I hate whatever. And just write it down. Take a few minutes to do that and do not look at anybody else's card. Just stop where you are right now. You can finish this at any time. But this is a good process to go through. It's just to, what I call, it's, it's like verbal vomit. It's just get it out. This is my circumstance. Sometimes we play games with God and we're not honest with God. Be honest with God. Lord, this is where I find myself. And you know what? I don't necessarily like it. God will not be surprised. He will not be shocked. You don't catch him off guard. But at some point today, finish this list. The second thing I want to leave you with is God prepares us through what we experience. God prepares us through what we experience. Every situation in your life and in my life is used by God to prepare you. I can look back on my last, all the years of my life, every screw up, every mistake, every failure, every near bankruptcy, every business that didn't fail, every job I had, every person I worked for, every experience in my life has prepared me for this moment. And if you, if you don't get it through your head, you'll, you'll, always, you'll just be disappointed in everything that goes on. How in the world can God use this? So therefore, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to leave this marriage. I'm going to give up on this. I'm going to give up on that because surely God can't use this in my life. God can use and does use and will use any and every circumstance. How do I know that? The scriptures tell me. This is an often quoted verse, often quoted in bad, badly out of context, and usually quoted to somebody who doesn't want to hear it. 
by somebody who's never experienced it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody's going through a trial. Somebody's going through a tough time. And some well-meaning Christian friend walks beside them and says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you later. And the person they've just scorched with Scripture is sitting there going, You know, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. But we should. Because as believers, the one thing that we have going for us is that no matter what we do and what we go through and what we experience, we are the only people on this planet who can experience blessing through the bad times and who can grow through difficulty. A non-believer does not get that benefit. A non-believer can't rejoice. They can try, but it won't be true rejoicing. We can. We can grow any and everything we go through. All things. He causes all things. You know what that means in the Greek? All things. Everything God can use to redeem us and grow us and change us. How about this one? Genesis 45 is a story of Joseph. He's talking to his brothers. This is after the fact that they sold him into, into slavery. He ends up in prison. He goes through all these different things. He ends up being second in command in Egypt. And his brothers blow into town. And he tells them, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hey, guys, you didn't send me here. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, they did. They sold them to the Midianites, slave traders. No. God was in control. God was the one who sent him there. He goes on later, the last chapter of this wonderful book. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God can take every circumstance and turn it for good. And he has a purpose. You know... This is an issue of being ready, willing, and able. Ready, willing, and able. So when God steps, steps into the scene, today, tomorrow, whenever it may be, are you ready, willing, and able to listen? Because the question isn't whether God has something for you to do. And I'm convinced of that for every man in this room. It's not whether or not he does. It's how you're going to respond when he reveals it. Are you going to be like Evan in the clip? That, you know, whoa, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. I'm, I get, I'm a busy man. Or are you going to say, don't understand it, don't even necessarily agree with it, don't even want to do it, but I'm ready, willing, and able? How will you respond is the question. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to the book of Esther. Don't panic. If you know where Psalms is, go back two books. Okay? Don't panic. Don't flip to the, you know, the beginning of your Bible and... Nobody likes to do that. There's not a man in this room who loves to show that they don't know where a book of the Bible is. You know, and, and I catch myself doing it. You know, you just kind of just flip, you know, and then you look up and you flip and you just, it's just go to Psalms. Everybody knows where that is and go back two books and you'll find the book of Esther. Another one of those well-worn sections of your Bible, I am sure. If you really want to, I'm going to give you the abbreviated version of Esther this morning, very quickly. If you want to see the whole story, you can rent it on VeggieTales. Um, and they actually do a really good job of telling the story of Esther. I thought about showing it this morning, but then you'd get used to seeing Veggie Tales, and we're not going to do that. Bad habit. 
So the story of Esther. Here's the deal. Esther is a Jewish girl. She's a virgin. That's important to the story. She lives with her uncle Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jewish man. Um, They live in Susa, which is in Babylon. The king of Babylon has a wife, a queen. He holds a banquet. It's a drunken banquet. Everybody gets drunk. It's kind of a, just a beer fest. And he's so proud of his beautiful queen that he invites her to come and he wants to show her off in front of all, all of his drunken cronies. Well, the queen decides, I don't want to do that. I'm not going. So the, the king gets upset. He gets angry. He goes to his wise men and he says, what am I supposed to do with this? And they say, well, you know, that's a bad precedent because she just basically, she's going to influence all the women in all the kingdom, including ours. And you need to do something about this because she needs to listen to the king. You need to banish her. So she is demoted and banished. She's no longer queen. So now he's got a problem. He doesn't have a queen. So they come up with another wise idea. We're going to have a contest. It's a beauty pageant. And they're going to go all throughout their land and they're going to gather all the most beautiful virgins from all the land. And they're going to bring them before the king, and he's going to choose his new queen based on that pageant. Kind of like an American idol. So they send out, and here comes Esther. She's a beautiful woman, the scriptures say, and she is chosen as one of the women to come be paraded before the king. And she gets chosen by the king. She becomes queen. Her uncle Mordecai tells her, hey, don't let him know of your Jewish heritage. So she keeps it a secret. There's another character that comes onto the scene. And he is a guy that's named, his name is Haman. Haman gets promoted to second in command by the king. This is a side story going on. Haman hates Jews. He is walking past the gate after his promotion, and at the gate sits Mordecai, where he sits every day. Everybody bows down and is to worship this new second in command, Haman. Mordecai refuses because he worships Yahweh. Mordecai doesn't like that. And so he gets upset. And he decides, not only am I going to get even with Mordecai the Jew, I'm going to get rid of all Jews. And so he goes to the king and he says, you know what, we need to get rid of these Jews. And the king agrees to sign an edict that will basically wipe out all Jews living in the land of Babylon. Well, Mordecai, of course, gets upset and he goes to his niece, who's now the queen, And he tells her, he's in sackcloth and ashes at this point, and he tells her that, hey, we got a problem here. I need your help. I need you to go to the king and tell him to stop this thing. Well, she, of course, is scared. Because there's a rule in the land that you cannot walk before the king unless you're summoned by the king. And to walk into his presence unsummoned means death. So she's got a dilemma. Well, at the same time, this story between Mordecai and Haman keeps going on. And Haman comes up with a plan to not only get rid of the Jews, but he decides he's going to eradicate Mordecai and he builds a gallows. And it's really not the gallows that we think of, like in the Western movies. This is actually, he's going to have him stuck up on a spike for public display. He's going to get rid of this guy once and for all. This story is very convoluted. They make a great movie. make a great VeggieTales. They don't get quite as graphic. But basically what happens is there's a key scene in here where Mordecai finally convinces his niece, the queen, to go before the king on behalf of the people. And we're going to look at a passage in just a minute that has to do with her response and his response to her. 
But bottom line is, all of this stuff is going on. All these little side stories. It's, it's like watching a Sopranos episode. You know, there's just all these things going on. And you've got the, the dastardly villain. You've got the beautiful queen. And you've got Mordecai, the, the Jew. And you've got the, this eradication of the Jews planned out. And all of this stuff is going on. And here's the queen. And she's going to go before the king. And she's going to basically come up with a plan. And her plan is, she, she says, Oh, king, I'd like to have a banquet. And I'd like to invite you. And I'd also like to invite Haman to this banquet that I'm going to hold on your behalf. And, of course, Haman gets really excited. He thinks, man, I have really reached the top because the queen has invited me only to a banquet with the king. This is great stuff. So he walks out, and guess who he sees sitting at the gate? Mordecai. He's like, oh, you ruined my day. I'm on, a, I'm on the top, and I have to run into Mordecai. And that's when he comes up with a plan to hang him on a spike. He gets the plan from his wife. And so he goes to the banquet... But the night before, the king is reading through the Chronicles. He can't sleep, so he's going back through the Chronicles, the history, and he's, he's looking for something to put him to sleep, and he's reading through the history of his kingdom. And there's a story in there that I overlooked. It's the fact that earlier on, Mordecai had overheard people plotting to kill the king, and he had revealed it and saved the king's life, and it had been chronicled. And the king's reading this, and he goes, Hey, what did we ever do for this guy, Mordecai? And his wise men say, we didn't do anything. And he goes, well, man, we got to do something. So in comes Haman. So he says, hey, Haman, what would you do for a guy? How would you honor somebody you really wanted to honor? How could I, the king, do that? And he goes, he's thinking about me. He's going to honor me. So he comes up with this elaborate plan. Well, I would, I'd put him in the best clothes. I'd, I'd parade him down the streets of town, led by nobles, and, and just make a big to-do of this guy. Give him a parade. And the king goes, I like that plan. Go out, get Mordecai, put him on your horse, put him in the best clothes, and parade him down the street. And Haman explodes. He goes home in depression. Then he goes to the banquet. And the queen reveals to the king the whole plan. And everything starts to come together. The king knows about Mordecai. He knows about the plan. And Haman gets revealed as the person behind it all. Guess who gets hung on the spike? It's Haman. It's an interesting story. It's a fascinating story. But there's a, there's a verse in here. It's two verses in chapter 4. Look at this. This is Mordecai talking to the queen. And he's begging her to get involved. And listen to what he says. He knows she's scared. He knows she doesn't want to do this. And he says, do not imagine, Esther, that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. You are not safe here just because you're the queen. Because he doesn't know you're a Jew. And guess what? This edict of the king includes all Jews. Including the queen. So if they die, you die. Whether he wants to do it or not, it's an edict. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. What faith? See, Mordecai says, you can keep your mouth shut, but guess what? God will raise up somebody. God will deliver his people, but you're still going to die. And then here's the key verse. And who knows, Esther, whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Who knows, Esther, 
Who knows, Ken? Who knows, Jim, Bill, Bob, Richard? I don't know what your name is. Plug your name in. Who knows whether you are where you are for such a time as this? Why are you alive? Why do you live here? Why are you in Fort Worth, Texas? Why do you go to Christ Chapel? Why are you in this Bible study? Why are you married to who you're married to? Why are you in the circumstances you're in? Who knows whether you have not attained where you are for such a time as this? See, Esther was this nobody. Esther was some Jewish virgin who God decided to use in a mighty way. I love the way the message translates this verse. Who knows, maybe you were made queen for just such a time as this. You went from being an obscure Jewish virgin to the queen of one of the most powerful nations in the world at a time when your help was desperately needed. Who knows? Maybe you are where you are for a reason. God has brought you into his kingdom, guys. God has brought you into his kingdom, just like the king had brought Esther into his kingdom. God has brought you into his kingdom. And it is no coincidence that you are where you are at this particular time. Please get that through your head. This is not a coincidence. It's not bad circumstances. It's not bad karma. It's God knows where you are. And he knows exactly what you're going through. It's not a coincidence. God himself has placed you there. Some of you guys are sitting there going, that is the screwiest thing I've ever heard in my life. That God would place me there. Hey guys, he's either in control or he's out of control. You know, I use this phrase a lot, but if, if, if your God didn't place you where you are, then he's up in heaven doing this. Oh my gosh. How did that happen? How in the world did that marriage get like it is? I, I turn my back and look what they did. God is not surprised at any moment of any day, any century, any epoch, by anything. If he created you and he has good works that he planned before the foundation of the world, he knows who you are, where you are, what you're going through, and he has you there for a reason. Does God cause evil? No. Can God use evil? Yes. God can use any circumstance. He has a purpose and a plan for you. Esther had no clue on the morning she woke up that she was paraded before the king when she was chosen to be part of that retinue. She had no clue that she was in God's plan. She woke up a happy-go-lucky Jewish virgin living in the house of her uncle Mordecai and she had no clue what God was going to do with her life. The day she woke up and she found out about the program against the Jews, she had no clue what God was going to do in her life and how God was going to use her life. But God had a purpose and a plan for her. God has a purpose and a plan for you. Here's how I want you to end this morning. This, this, this is it. Take the next few minutes. I want you to look at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. What I'd really like you to do is write it on the back of that card that you started your circumstances on. Write it on the back of your card and keep it with you. And think about it and read it and potentially memorize it.
Well, hopefully you've caught the flavor, you've caught the idea, the concept that you were born to make a difference. Esther was born to make a difference. She went from being an anonymous Jewish girl who was given her beauty by God. Do you ever think about that? She was made beautiful by God for a reason. She wasn't born homely. She could have been. But she was made beautiful. So beautiful that the king chose her over all the virgins in the land. She was raised by her uncle for a reason. I don't know what happened to her family, but she was being raised by her uncle. She was born in Susa for a reason. Everything had a reason. She was chosen by the king for a reason. Why did he choose her over all... Can you imagine how many women they gathered? And she was chosen? She was made queen for a reason. And like Moses, like Abram, like Noah, like Peter, like Paul, when God revealed her purpose, what I have for you to do, she had a choice to make, didn't she? I can say yes or I can say no. She had to choose to obey. That's the same thing you and I face each and every day. And this is, this is so critical to me. Where God's purpose and her obedience met became holy ground. If you're in a bad situation and you say yes to God, that situation becomes holy. Because God's in it and you're in it. You may hate your job, but if you go into that job and you serve and you love and you include God in it, it becomes holy ground. If you're in a bad relationship, you're in a bad marriage, and you don't know how you're going to save this thing, if you go into it dependent on God and you meet God there in obedience, it becomes holy. That blows me away. Because I want it fixed first doesn't necessarily happen that way, guys. Where you and God meet and you obey, it becomes holy ground. She became an instrument in the hands of God. Man, that is my prayer for every guy in this room, that you would be an instrument in the hand of God where you are. Where you are. In whatever circumstance you find yourself, you become an instrument of God. You hate your job? Be a witness. Be an instrument. You hate your marriage? Be an instrument. Be used by God in that situation to perform the good works of God. Her availability, guys, resulted in what? Victory. You know what's interesting about this story is that that edict that was put out, you know, you can't change an edict. At least back in those days you couldn't. We do it all the time now. But once the king set the edict, he couldn't reverse it. So guess what he did? He made Mordecai second in command. And Mordecai came up with a concept, hey, let us just defend ourselves. Just give us the ability to raise up arms and defend ourselves as a people. And the king said, go for it. And the scriptures tell us they overturned their enemies and they wiped them out. The Jews were the ones that were supposed to be wiped out. But God changed it. Victory was had. Why? Because a Jewish, obscure Jewish virgin was used by God and was obedient to God and was available to God. Would you pray with me? Guys, what were you born to do? What were you born to do? 
We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Father, I pray this morning that you would raise up a host of guys in this room who are going to say, whatever circumstance I'm in, I accept. And I ask you, Father, to use me where I am. And I pray that you would mold me into what you want me to be where I am. Use these circumstances as your tool in my life to make me who you want me to be. Father, use us, change us, equip us, and show us that every guy in this room is called for a purpose. You want to use us. We were born for such a time as this. May we be used like Esther. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, my my Savior and your Son. Amen. Guys, here's your homework. There is no homework other than this. Finish that card. Write down your circumstances and memorize that verse. Spend some time on that this week. I want you to deal with your circumstances and praise God for them and let Him use them. Have a great week and we'll see you next week.